Welcome to For the Love of Books, a podcast by Culture at NL Libraries. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Culture at NL Libraries podcast for the Love of Books. My name is Chris Wilson, the East Services Librarian for Culture NL, and I am joined today with one of our open line officers, Hilary Petrie from Motherwell Library. Welcome to the podcast, Hilary. This is your second time. Welcome yeah, back. good to be back. Thanks very much. <laughs> and the reason why we've got Hilary today is that we are going to have a kind of learning-focused uh, episode today, and I think I think we might call this one "Time to Learn." I think so. Um, what we'll do is have, we'll have a little chat about things that's changed for the kind of login to learn team, the open learn team, um, due to the kind of the lockdown and the kind of reopening and changes to procedures and things like that sort of stuff. So we'll have a kind of chat about that. Also, we can talk about um, what's kind of what we what things new things we've started and things like that sort of stuff um, since then too and. A little bit of chat about books at the end as well. So a little bit of everything in this episode. I'm going to put out a disclaimer right now that I do have a bit of a cough. I am, however, COVID-free, so I've been tested and I'm all good. But I apologise now if I do cough and I will do my best to edit out later afterwards in the episode. So um, bear with me on that one. But we'll get started anyway. So let's just kind of go in and kind of, Howdy, can you give us a little bit of an idea of what's changed due to lockdown and, and reopening and things like that for, for an open learning officer for, for the culture in your libraries? What's changed for your role? I think I want to say everything and nothing. <laughs> um, nothing in that we're still here and able to help people with um, some ways they can use IT. Mm-hmm. the way we do it has changed quite drastically um, if you walked into any of our four login to learn centres previously so in Coatbridge, Cumbernauld, Motherwell and Wishaw you would have been able to get somebody to help you with devices or with whatever you were looking for online um, a whole range of things other courses and such like and a lot of that would have been almost all of that would have been face to face yeah. which is where things have had to change. Um, obviously, with lockdown, we were in a position where none of the libraries were open and the centres were open. And so we moved um, a lot of what we were trying to do online. And that's included being able to take people through courses online as well. So we have always offered... Um, the ECDL computer driving license qualification, which is a great way to be able to show that you've kind of got a base core skill across Microsoft Office product and great for employability. For those people, those learners who were already with us who had access to their own computer, we've been able to keep them learning. And thankfully, the awarding body eventually gave us permission to do remote invigilations so we can actually get people through and just this morning, actually, I was um, speaking face to face with uh, a member of the public, a member of the public who'd become a learner with us during lockdown, and has worked through all the modules. And I was just handing over a certificate this morning to her, so she popped in to, to pick that up. Fantastic! Which was really, really great. Um, so we've had people manage to keep doing that sort of thing. Um, unfortunately, for some other learners they've had to kind of put a little pause on things right now if they had been relying on 
coming in to use our IT to do it. So we're kind of looking at ways where we can maybe try and get them back online. We also spent a bit of time with people who were maybe not so familiar with their mobile phones or tablets or who've maybe had family and friends purchase them something to use. Uh, and if they were a, a, a library member, quite often people would come to us and sort of say, the grandchildren got me this, can you help me out? Um, or, or, or conversely, the grandparents bought me this and I haven't a clue what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> there's no age barrier in here. It just like, um, We've done a little bit of that. It's, it's a bit harder to do when you're talking over the phone with somebody and you can't see their screen. Yeah. But we did that, and, and the ones that can stick with me on that, we're, we're doing that to try and get members of our book clubs up and running so that they can participate in online book groups. Yeah. And we've taken, uh, as you'll have talked about before, we've taken our, our, online, our, our book groups by and large online, mm-hmm. if possible. Um, and I think that's worked. I think yeah. that's worked. I think, I think it has worked, and I think it's been quite good for, for the club, club members to to kind of get back to kind of chat about books in, in some way. Yeah. So it has, it has been a kind of success, I think, in bringing that online. I think I think lockdown generally and has actually shown just how core IT basic IT skills are. Now I'm not I don't mean to be able to sit down and type at type you know on a keyboard or anything like that. I mean actually to be able to, to connect into the web some or, or online somewhere and to be able to use apps, particularly on phones and tablets. because um, yeah. you know I talk, when we talk about lockdown in general or or our experiences over the last six, seven months. Can you imagine if this had been fine, even five years ago? It had to be what it was. I think it would have been vastly different. But what we have to remember is that there's a whole lot of people who haven't had that kind of experience of being able to stream things. You just haven't had Wi-Fi provision at home um, and have previously relied on other sites to use it. So I think it's probably woken a lot of people up to the importance of some of these skills Um, and people who didn't want to know previously having to come back and say actually can you help me out a wee bit with with this or that so I think for us yeah it has changed in in terms of our sites as with everything else we're obviously socially distancing and so there are fewer devices available uh, in terms of uh, desktops or in, in Marlowe's case laptops um, we also have had to because there's fewer devices available we've had to put a time restriction on just now as well that also just means that people are not um, inside for too long uh, as well um, so put your mask on come into the library you know sanitize your hands come in and see us um, drop in or you can book ahead of time. Quite often it might be a good idea just to, to phone into your, your centre ahead of time and book in. That yeah. way you can be guaranteed that there's a device for you when you get there. Yeah, and there is still PC access as well at Bells Hill and at Killsite as well, which are both reopened as well. So so you can still access PCs there too. If you need to. And just, just a plug for the fact that in Motherwell, although our building is covered in scaffolding, um, and we have <laughs> we have had to move login to learn off the top floor, so the PC access is on the ground floor now. And it is open, absolutely. It, it sometimes doesn't look like we're, we're open, um, as or so I've been told by a couple of learners. But we are there. We're, 
you know, we're there to welcome you. And yes, we've had to make some significant changes in Motherwell just now, just because of the work that's ongoing. But all will be good when we get to the end of it. And um, we, we're, all, still, we're still offering stuff. Yeah, it, sh- it shall all be worthwhile in the end. That's so, it. Yeah. Um, so, what what kind of challenges have uh, what is, how's the challenge been to exploring sort of these new ways of working um, from a kind of learning perspective? You kind of touched on things like can we do the individualization via kind of remotely and things like that sort of stuff. So, how how have the challenges been in that? Like, has there been anything I think specific? The challenges have come down to learning to use so many different types of software. Yeah. Um, and new programs. Um. You know. I don't know about you, but in March, even beginning of March, I don't think I really knew that much about Zoom. Um, yeah. And now, although we don't use, although we don't use it day to day on 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 our systems, you do find yourself doing lots of things on there or other platforms um, like Skype or or Webex or whatever else. And actually, for us, it's been about not just being able to use one of them; it's been able to use all of them. Yeah. And, and Finding the one that kind of suits the customer that you're kind of dealing with and things like that sort of stuff. But you'll remember as well that even um, t- at early stages of lockdown, we were all sort of scrabbling about trying to find platforms that worked for the various tasks that we were trying to use. So definitely, I, I seem to have sort of dabbled into lots of different things um, over lockdown. And, and I think for me, in some ways, that's actually been quite good to be the learner rather than being on the, the search user side of it. Yeah, and having to, to, I think I should still constantly feeling I don't really know what I'm doing here. That that's that's a, that's a trade secret, box, But um, sometimes that does is what's happening in behind your own landing officers. I, I should say my in my case, I wouldn't dare say that about my colleagues. But <laughs> I, to be honest, I think they agree with me that um, quite often, particularly just now, you know, we are we're all learning new things. Um, and one of my one of my kind of real wish I had a bit, I wish I still have a bit more time to, and I, and I really do need to dip further into, is looking at how we deliver the like, core learning. So the, the real basics um, in a COVID environment, so where we can't sort of sit down with a group of people and touch their screens, you know, and, and sort of work side by side with someone. I, I had um, somebody was in Motherwell this morning. Um, that is, is a regular user of, uh, or a regular customer of the, of, of the service and a great learner, um, but had a new device and wanted a wee bit of help. And you, you, you sort of realise just how often you go to touch the screen and how, how you actually, I think you've had to learn a kind of new way of working and a new vocabulary of, of making sure that you get the learner to move even the basic commands. Yeah. Because you do sometimes just fall back into like the kind of old habits of, of like that's yeah. been pre-programmed into you for years because it's just been the way you've done things for so long and yeah, it is I mean, easy to forget about it for just a few split second. And even sometimes it's really been, you know, you would previously have demonstrated something and then got somebody to do it, whereas actually you have to talk them through the whole process now rather than being able to sort of do a watch and learn. Yeah, it's it's just a whole talk through, which I find quite challenging. Yeah, talking about new learning experiences, we have recently set up um, a MOOC club on Facebook, yeah. um, and 
and and that MOOC is Ever O O C. So it's not a book club; it's a MOOC club. And um, Helen, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what a MOOC is? Okay, so a MOOC is a massive open online course. I think I've got my O's the right way round. Um, some combination of them. <laughs> so, for for several years now, there have been learning platforms that offer short courses, often on no, actually on, on, on a huge range of topics, and with all the book clubs that. I was kind of very aware of and, and running around. They're all very much fiction based. Mm. Uh, and from a learning perspective as well, I had always so I thought it would be really good to get people engaged with a bit more learning um, of whatever. Not, not necessarily, you know, we, we do a lot of work about learning how to use a device or how to perform a certain task or how to go and start looking up your family history, that kind of thing. But I'm always very aware that there's an awful lot more, almost like almost like the non-fiction section of a of a um a, a kind of real. I want, I want to say real library. That's not what I mean. Ethical <laughs> library. I, I, I yeah. So you've got your fiction, you've got your non-fiction section, and the 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 MOOC club idea. Was a was a kind of idea that had been sort of flying around for a wee bit about well, what if we try and get people together who fancy learning something? And had it been pre-COVID, we would have had you know one of the training rooms. We'd have got people in at the same sort of time. We would have had a blather and a cup of coffee together uh, and tried to work through a course. You yeah. know together i don't know about you but i'm i'm very good at i can go and start a course but if i don't have somebody kind of holding me to account kind of pushing me along pushing me along <laughs> i'm awful I, I get diverted and i never get back to things so i and i and i know from speaking to people that's quite a lot of people in that world so it was yeah. a kind of thought about, well what if we try this so what would it be now about six weeks ago yeah, well, we, la we launched it during Adult Learners Week this year, so that it was during that week that we launched it, and so it must be just over six weeks, I think. Um, so one of the one of the big providers of MOOCs is OpenLearn, yeah. which is the Open University. Um, they make an awful lot of kind of extracts from courses. Uh, of their their undergraduate degrees or or or, or just bite-sized learning so yeah because the open learning open university is quite off-putting because you sort of think oh it has to be at degree level it's not they have a lot of fabulous resources in there and things that had you been in one of our sites and um, we were talking to sort of things that actually we might have directed people towards as a way of, of picking up even just some numeracy and literacy skills um, or a little bit of interest in a particular topic. So we picked up one of those to start with. Um, and I had, I had great fun going through looking at all the three courses um, that were there and trying to narrow it down to something that might appeal across the range. But I had to sort of thought something that I feel a little bit comfortable starting off with um, rather than throwing myself completely in at the deep end. Um, so we ended up with a course which sounds really formal, 
um, as an introduction to data and information. But actually, it's really just looking at what happens, what is data, what is information, and, and what happens really with that kind of, um, you hand over your loyalty card in store, you know, and, and just how many of those we actually hold, or yeah. scan the app on your phone to get back to COVID, it's COVID, you know, and back into, the, into, into the, that world. How much information is held? What's what's done with it? How how do they use it? Um, and, and it started sort of looking at that kind of side of things. Yeah. Um, I think we those of us that did it, I think things quite eye opening. It was the one thing I remember from it that stuck out to me was that one of the one of the kind of tasks it sort of sets is to kind of have a look at your wallet and and have a look at what information is contained in your wallet about you, which I thought was really quite interesting. And whenever, and whenever actually, I did actually do it and had to look through it. And, and it's actually amazing how many kind of different things you can find out about a person and where, things like where they've shopped, what kind of, what's their favourite kind of place to buy coffee from, um, <laughs> what, what, uh, what kind of, professional bodies they may be a member of, all that kind of stuff. And and, and it's all contained in a, in, a, in a wallet in your pocket, you know. And it's, it's, it, showed, it kind of showed how much information can be in a, such a small space. And that applies to kind of even online places, maybe you're filling out forms yeah. and things like that. You can, you can, whenever you're filling out a form online, there's lots and lots of information you're putting in. And you, you can, most people fill it out and, and not really thinking too much about it, but that's that information out there to and the T's and C's of these companies to kind of do whatever the, whatever you've agreed to will be yeah. having not read about it properly. And so, yeah, it's, it was definitely an eye-opener for, for various things, I think. I think one of the other ones I, I liked the way it sort of touched on, and, and it would have been nice if we'd been able to go a bit deeper into, it was looking at maps mm. and the data that and, and, and comes out of those. Because I remember seeing it, it must just have, been about a year ago, there was um, some programs on the Spanish influenza outbreak in 1918, 1919, just the end of the First World War, so 1719. And it, it, that documentary that I watched had shown you how that was really the start of the sort of public health information pulling together because they started to map where, I think it was in Manchester, where the, where the no, the Manchester one was cholera, but I think because of that, they ended up with the flu as well. And they were mapping kind of where cases had been, and then they were realizing that you know that there were these local clusters with the cholera, in particular in the eighteen fifties. Um, that's when they started to make the connection that that came from water. It, it was water that was causing the problems, yeah. and you know that it. it it was, a, it was a great way to kind of even go back and look at things like the National Library of Scotland, who've got the old maps. So you can take a, a, on their website, you can kind of go to where you are just now or, or somewhere you want to look at, but you can go back to a whole lot of old digitised maps and you can overlay them on the current map area, right. which is fascinating to kind of go back and look at how areas have changed. Um, and yeah, we, we didn't really get a chance that week to kind of dig too deeply back into that, that section, but it would want, be one thing I would sort of, 
again, just say people, if, you, if, you, if you're interested, there is a link actually currently on our Culture NL ISO Learn pages to the National Library of Scotland map section. It's in the, the Ancestry and Family History section. Yeah. Um, we'll have a play with the maps in there. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I think that I, I didn't realize you could overlay them and things like that. That does actually seem really interesting. And I, think I might actually have a look at that myself. <laughs> um, what, so what's the what's the next MOOC that the, the club's now working on? Okay. And, and, and have a look so at. This is this, this is the point where I should have started this already this week, and I haven't. I know I have um, to. I'm confessing bad homework moment as well. I'm a little bit behind too, um, <laughs> but we'll, but we'll get there. We'll get there. But we'll get there. So one of one of our colleagues had got in touch with me um, just after we started the group and said, have you seen this, this course that's coming up? And so one of the other big providers of MOOCs is a, is a, is a, a project called FutureLearn. And they do pull a lot more information from universities around the world and, and big companies. And the University of Glasgow, along with the University of the West Indies, have pulled together a course called the History of Slavery in the British Caribbean. And so we're going to work through that over the next few weeks. Now that has just started on, on Future Learn. And although we'll the group will work together, we'll put some stuff uh, and, and some questions up onto the, the Facebook group uh, for the core of us that are, are the team that are working on it here. And then please yeah. do come join us in there. And um, the actual course site this time includes uh, a whole lot more chance to interact with people around the world as, as they undertake this course and that's one of the beauties of, of, of MOOCs is that because you don't have to be on site mm -hmm. people can do it wherever they are and, and courses do find that they get huge numbers starting them but interestingly the research shows that people drop away yeah I, so again, it doesn't surprise me too much that that well, happens, yeah, because life does tend to get in the way sometimes of of these things. Yeah, but I think that with this course, it because it's partly being run by by University of Glasgow, it's going to have that look at the implications. I think the way it looks, we'll we'll learn a lot more about the the slavery connections in Glasgow, um, which. You know, as, as someone born and brought up in Glasgow and, and interested in, in, in the history of the place, I've known the connections with some of the street names and mm -hmm. the sort of poetry and stuff, but we have, I think, very much brushed it under the carpet a bit. Yeah, glossed, glossed it over a little. Glossed over it. We were yeah. all very good and, 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 and here's what was going on. I think this is a, it's a great chance to kind of look at a subject that, that's really getting a lot of attention just now um, and to to have the chance to, to find out a bit more um, about the history that we think we know about our city and our country um, and and pick up also the, the, the sort of West Indies connection mm. a lot more. It'll be really interesting to see what the, the staff that are involved from that end yeah, I um, couldn't into it too. So I'm and just it, looking at it as we're speaking, and it could be interesting because there could be two very different perspectives. The fact that it's two different kind of sets of universities that are I, putting, I, put it together. 
maybe two different kind of viewpoint things. I think, I think as well that's again where the, the whole MOOC thing really this could really play into here mm -hmm. because because it's a worldwide audience. Yeah. You're also you know you're not you're not limited to the conversation that takes place within a very close cohort of, of learners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That if you if you engage with the online communication that, that goes on with it too, then I'll I'll be interested to see what comes of it. Um, although Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing we've got a lot of homework to do for, for next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for next I know. We we will have to catch up quite quite rapidly. <laughs> I think on what's happening. Um, so, uh, to the current MOOC club members, we we do completely apologise, but we will catch up <laughs> and uh, and be and be ready for whenever we get to chat. And um, we'll start to kind of work out the dates for the next set of live sessions for um for the for the MOOC club. But we will get that sorted soon, hopefully, and uh, and get that back up and running soon. Too. Yeah. I think one of the things we're keen to do though with this one is actually try and get a lot more questions just mm. out on Facebook group, a lot more discussion going on there. Yeah. So that awesome. if you can't make the live sessions, you can still participate in this. Yeah. Uh, and and look to engage with it. And if, if this isn't the topic for you, keep you know, keep an eye on it or, or make some suggestions. Go and have a look at what's what's out there. Yeah. Uh, something that you particularly like to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that is about kind of that is about kind of learning when and when and if you can. If you can make the live sessions, then fantastic, and we can have a good wee chat about the stuff. If you can't, then the, the beauty of the Facebook group is the fact that you can post about anything that catches your eye while you're while you're kind of learning. Can I get sort of people's perspectives on it or thoughts on it and things like that sort of stuff at any point? So, so we would definitely encourage anyone to kind of write anything, any kind of comments or whatever they want about the MOOCs in the club. When when they, they want to, it's not it's not just a case of like the only people who can start a thread is is myself or, or Hillary. You guys can kind of kind of fire in questions or start threads and things like that sort of stuff too. So feel free to do that if if you do come along and join, and also just to the current member too. You don't just need to take our word for it about how fantastic the club is. We do have a short soundbite from a, a library member who is already part of the, the group, so. We'll put that in here for you to hear what their thoughts on the MOOC club is. The MOOC attracted me as an opportunity to learn about a new topic in an informal setting. It was also a way to meet new people during lockdown as you get together virtually to discuss what you've learned. The topics are really varied, which means there's something for everyone and I look forward to exploring subjects that I wouldn't usually consider. So there you go. You don't just have to take our word for it about how fantastic the club is. Even the library members think it's amazing, which is no surprise because libraries are fantastic. And, and but, I understand there was no need for chocolate bribery in there either. No, not at all, not at all. We just we just asked very nicely, so thank you very much for that, um, for, for giving us that little summary as well. Um, can I, we're kind of coming up to the close of our episode now, so we'll kind of sort of run through a little bit, a few things as well about some. Well, let's bring books back into the equation a little bit. So, um, normally we've chatted a little bit about kind of learning. We've chatted a bit about learning and books and stuff in the past, and about how sometimes um, 
non-fiction books tend to kind of sometimes get overlooked a little bit when it comes to book conversations. People tend to try and default to fiction and when they're talking about like, well, what's your favourite book and things like that sort of stuff or what, what are you fancy reading soon or all that kind of stuff. So um, I thought we would kind of maybe have a little bit of a quick chat about sort of um, so a couple of non-fiction titles that maybe catch, caught our eye recently. Um, and also we did throw out a very, very late um, recommendation email to our colleagues and it was very late, so I must apologise to them for that. But one of them did get back to us with a recommendation as well, so so we'll, we'll file it in after we've had a wee chat as well. Um, I thought I would kind of put in the one that I have kind of got my eye on a little bit. Um, it's um, called Stories of Hope and it is by Heather Morris, who is more famous, most famous for her book, um, her fiction book, The Tattooist of Ipswich, and um, and also Silka's Journey as well, which has really started as well. And, and Stories of Hope is a, is a non-fiction book. It is, it is her experience of basically researching those books and learning about the kind of, kind of listening to other people about their stories and and how to then kind of put that into words and make it into a book. And I just thought that was such a really interesting thing because I think listening is a skill that, that everybody has, um, but some people use it much better than others. And, and, and kind of that sort of researching skill for kind of doing a, a, a kind of a book like that sort of thing, or, or kind of, it's, it's a, a definitely a skill that, that, that you need to kind of have kind of, to hone to a kind of fine art, I would imagine, to kind of get the, the words across. And and obviously, the, the Tattoo Story, which, which, which is a fantastic book on its own, um, it was a bit controversial because some people kind of said that it kind of bended the truth a little bit. And But at the same time, it is a fiction book, so it's to be kind of expected, maybe, to kind of dramatise it a bit to make it a bit more interesting than, and, and, and things. But but certainly, I think that's to me that's one that's definitely kind of caught my eye, and it is currently available on Box to observe, and the e audio book will be available soon. My <laughs> e services plug in there, so there you go. But yeah, Hilary, have you got a, a title that you would like to throw in, uh, or, or kind of? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw in a couple. Um, earlier on this year, pre lockdown, I discovered the Secret Barrister. Yeah. who has writing, uh, writes, writes various columns uh, and has a, an excellent Twitter account as well. Um, but he, they, because we don't actually know who it is, yeah. um, had written a kind of, kind of eye-opening account, I think is probably the best way of describing this, of, of what it's like working in the court system in England. Um, and it was one of these ones it, it just makes you stop and think um, so having read that um, I was recently gifted a copy of the follow up book which is called Fake Law uh, and it's looking at the idea of justice uh, in the age of lies and how the media manipulate I think from a quick glance at it I think so how the media manipulate Manipulate stories is maybe too strong a phrase. Uh, how the spin that goes on to things. Let's 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 go that one in the agenda. And you saying about the tattoos, the British bits. Um, I remember as when when I was doing history, 
and studying that had one of the hardest things I I found to I had to learn in first year was this idea that history is not black and white, mm. and events are not black and white, and it's everything's in that kind of shades of grey in the middle, and it depends on how you're looking at it, yeah. and the bias, the unconscious bias you possibly bring to it, and I think it, it's like, to me it starts all sort of tied back to to to, to the mix we've done actually already. Um, so that's that's kind of one set. I think I might have spoken about this last time because it's been it's been on the. I'm I'm slowly working my way through this and um, for 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 ages. I I I've hit another one of these. I just can't just can't read crazy. Um, but it's called Invisible Woman, um, which is. I think it was a science book prize winner last year. Um, but it looks at the idea of bi- data bias yeah. in, in sort of design and, and the fact that the world is designed for men is, is a bit of a hypothesis. Um, even just down to the way the roots that, that they flow first. Uh, it was a, a Norwegian study, I think, but um, certainly Scandinavian. Um, but the, when they had worked out the, the roots for ploughing, uh, after a major snowfall, they realised once they started to look at the bias in here that it was all about getting cars moving, um, and it wasn't about the women who would often have to take the children to school first and then. Right. There was a whole kind of sort of bias behind that. There's things about um, safety testing in vehicles, and so it's, it's a fascinating read. I just keep putting it down and not getting enough time to kind of go back to it in big chunks yeah it's one of those books i i keep seeing it everywhere actually and and it keeps catching my eye and and quite a few people have recommended it to me in the past and so yeah. it's definitely one that i would like to kind of pick up at some point i'm not a huge non-fiction book reader i have to admit um but but when but certain things i mean that one definitely kind of catches the eye of something that sounds very interesting yeah for sure and so my 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 my, my one of my other recommendations would be this the one that got away from me um, I had a copy of Sue Black's All That Remains, A Life and Death, um, and I, I gave it to somebody to read. Mm-hmm. Um, no, okay. I will get it back eventually. <laughs> um, but it was just sitting on my pile. It was just sitting on my pile of things to read. Um, she's the professor of anatomy, anatomy and forensic anthropology. I think it's Dundee. Okay. She works with Paul McDermott. All right. Okay. If, if it's the person I think it is. Um, but she does a whole, she's sort of done a whole lot of the sort of forensics and, and the, the anthropology stuff and, and looking at how the investigations work in, in that environment. Um, I think a lot of crime fiction readers, readers would probably find this a really good gateway book across into non-fiction if they sort of say, you know, I don't pick, I don't read non-fiction. Um, I think this is one that's probably the sort of current crime novel. Yeah, it's kind of almost like, it's almost slightly crossover. <laughs> you know, there's more and more non-fiction like that. Yeah. But I think is a great way to 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 kind of get into things and yeah. and make that crossover. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I say we did get one staff recommendation from my very late email uh, yesterday, um, and it is from the librarian, the customer service librarian up in Cumbernauld, Gillian. And her recommendation was 
um, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race by Benny Edo Lodge, I think is what you pronounce the name. Um, and if I can read my really dodgy writing that I've written down in my notepad, um, her, the reason why she recommended it was this was a great read, a great timely read. The book explores the links between gender, class, and race in Britain and other countries with experiences of black and Asian people in the UK. It's a shocking but important, uh, a shocking but important read, I think it was, or anything, as she said. Um, what the, as, again, that has, that's been a very kind of popular title recently. Um, and um, again, it's it's also available on Borrowbox to reserve if you want to get, kind of have a look at that as well. It's, I think that with non-fiction, I think it's one of these things, it is things that um, that's uh, kind of, can be quite important to to what's happening in the world at the time, as as what kind of ends up being kind of very popular and very kind of well well claimed and things like that sort of stuff. Um, I know, for instance, obviously there's a big election coming up in America next month, um, and at the moment there's loads and loads of very popular titles to do with a certain president over there at the moment and things like that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So so I think that is one of the things that with with uh, with nonfiction it can be kind of very much about the situation that the 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 world I feel like is facing at that moment in time in terms of how popular these titles are and things like that. And and there are always things to learn from them, um, even if it is just a kind of a sort of biography about someone and things like that sort of stuff. There is you can always kind of pick up kind of little things about like from their life that can can sort of impact on you a little bit and things like that as well. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, biographies are a great way sometimes to learn about other things as well as the person that you're reading mm. about. Yeah. Um, but even 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 in a lot of fiction, the amount of non-fiction that you can and, and fact information you can sometimes pick up in novels as well is is, is absolutely good. But you're right. I mean, I've got I got a number of American related non-fiction, political non-fiction on my yeah. to read list, but yeah. still haven't got uh, um, what, what I'm interested to, to find out is, depending on what way the election goes, yeah. <laughs> um, is whether the popularity of certain titles will diminish after the election or whether they'll keep that same level of interest. It'll be interesting to see because um, some of the men on, on Borrowbox at least have got quite lengthy kind of waiting lists, and okay, depending on obviously how that election goes, it might be interesting to see how that kind of affects the popularity of those books, which will be an interesting kind of side 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 show of of of, of the results for for, for us. <laughs> well, the one that the one that immediately springs to mind actually for me when you say that is all the presidents' men, which mm. is. Was in 1974. It was in Cal Bearson and Bob Woodward. Um, not that I'm making any connections to anything that any of them may have written recently, but <laughs> no, there's one that has never really gone away yeah. from the kind of classic non-fiction political reading list. I would I would suggest, and I suspect that some of the stuff, regardless of, of what happens in the next few weeks, I, I would suspect that some of the stuff will remain there but you're right you know, as 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 the world changes and things spin and change I, I think that does influence the sorts of non-fiction that get 
a lot of publicity and a lot of yeah. people want to read them. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I think we've just about up and come to the end of our, our episode. So I thought we mentioned our MOOC club earlier on um, and what I thought we could do is give a little hint as to how people can actually join the club if they want to, uh, We, uh, which would be a good idea, which um, we, we post quite regularly now on our kind of regular social media about the, the club with kind of links to be able to join it. Also, if you go onto Facebook itself and actually just search for Culture and the Libraries MOOC Club, you, it should come up in the search engine there and you can just kind of join, kind of ask to join the club from there and um, and we can kind of add you in from that point. So it's then nice and easy to kind of join the, the club as well. Um, and we're all friendly and we would love to see you there. So it'd be fantastic to kind of get you in. Um, I thought to kind of end the episode, I thought we'd kind of maybe just highlight a couple of things that are kind of on the horizon a little bit for Culture NL libraries as well. Um, near the end of this month, Culture NL libraries will be taking part a little bit in hashtag NL Halloween. Um, obviously, Halloween this year may be quite different for a lot of people because of certain world pandemics that are going on. Um, but uh, the, the the North Ledger Youth Work, I think it is, have got plans to kind of put on lots of stuff online about kind of things that you can get involved in. And we are going to be posting a few things online about that as well. So that should be happening between the 26th and the 30th of August. And so do watch out on our social media for things to do with that. Just in case case somebody thinks Chris wants to relive part of this year, that would be October. What did I say? Does he say August? Oh my goodness. Um, October, definitely October. Um, Yeah, no, we don't want to relive too much of uh, 2020 at this point. Um, And um, then... On a bit further than that, and I will get the month right for this one, it's Big Week Scotland is coming up on the 16th to the 22nd of November, definitely November. And so we will have some stuff going on for that as well. So a couple of dates for a diary to watch out for stuff that's happening and you can keep an eye out for that. Um, if you um, want to leave us any feedback on the podcast, you can do it by using hashtag, hashtag FLB podcast on Twitter. Or you can drop us a little email to librarypodcast at culturenail.co.uk as well. So, but watch out for future episodes coming soon. That's all from me and all from Hilary for this episode. So bye for now, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.